Welcome to the eighth episode of the Trailside Podcast. In this series, I'll be speaking with cyclists that are part of the Kona Bikes Ambassador Programme, in which Kona Bikes helps to support cyclists from all around the world. In this episode, I speak with Sydney about wine, bikes, trail building, and what exactly is adopting a trail. Okay, Sydney, thanks for joining me. Um, so my idea for this kind of podcast was rather than uh, research all there is to know about you and have loads of questions prepared, um, go in a little bit blind and just have a conversation with the fellows person who's passionate about cycling and, and learn about you from you. Perfect. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for giving me some of your, <clears throat> excuse me, thanks for giving me some time of you out of your day. Um, so I suppose the the first thing to do would be if you can just, I suppose, introduce yourself and just tell me a little bit how cycling is involved in your life and how you got into cycling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm Sydney. Um, I have been into cycling I guess relatively new within the last five or six years. So I didn't necessarily grow up with it um, as a kid, though I did kind of have exposure as a kid in the sense of just playing in the front yard type of deal on bikes. So mm -hmm. I was the type of kid that tried to find, you know, the steepest driveway in the neighborhood to get down on it on my bike kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. And then of course, come home to my mom with bruised up knees and all that fun <laughs> stuff. Um, so yeah, I would say cycling was, you know, very much just a, you know, thing I had as a kid just playing around in the neighborhood. Um, didn't necessarily have it in a formal sense or a mountain biking sense. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then in college, I got a hardtail and used that to commute around classes and that kind of thing. And then I attempted to take it on some trails, but it didn't really work out <laughs> all too well. Um, and then I actually, right before my senior year of college, I got a wine internship in the Pacific Northwest, which... I was going to school in Arizona at the time and then took this wine internship right before my last year of undergrad. Um, I was studying civil engineering at the time and just kind of wanted to do something new before I graduated. Yeah. Um, so I took up this wine internship and it just happened to be in this small town um, called Hood River, Oregon, which is about an hour east of Portland, Oregon. Um, and yeah, I showed up not really knowing much about the area and went there primarily for this um, internship, which was amazing. But Hood River has actually got a ton of mountain biking. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't into really mountain biking at the time and didn't know that. Um, and so I kind of got introduced to it through moving here, which I now still currently live in the, in that area. Um, and I was actually at a wine inter er, industry night, which is just, yeah, it's an industry night. And so wine uh, as in like the drink wine. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So the drink wine. So I was 
yeah, working at a winery slash vineyard. And yeah, it was an industry night and another winemaker in town was super into mountain biking and we were just talking about it and I was, you know, attracted to it. So um, I was like, oh, I'd love to go mountain biking, you know, with your group of friends sometime. He's like, great. Do you have a mountain bike? And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) Um, like, well, you can actually borrow one of, um, our friends. So I borrowed a mountain bike from one of their friends, which was so generous at the time thinking back on it all. Um, and when I first met them, it was a full suspension bike. I had no idea about full suspension bikes. And so they like, well, you're probably going to want to set, you know, the suspension, your body weight, all that stuff. And I just kind of looked at them super bewildered and was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just going (laughs) to jump on this and see what happens. So yeah, that's exactly what happened. And, um, went on some rides with them and then they were super generous and actually let me borrow that mountain bike all summer. So I, um, pretty much went out every day I could that summer. Um, the vineyard I was working at was right next to our main mountain biking area called Post Canyon. Um, so I'd sometimes just go straight from the vineyard to the, you know, trail system right behind the, um, vineyard and sometimes went with groups of people, sometimes went alone and just kind of figured it out that summer, which was about five years ago. So long story short, that's kind of my inter or background with cycling was kind of just within the last five years or so. And, um, yeah, it just kind of fell into my lap a little bit. Awesome. Like it's, yeah, I seen, it seems to be with a lot of people that they just, once they start going to college, they get a bike just primarily is kind of commuting and then it just kind of explodes from there. But, uh, it was pretty cool that you got a job with somebody else that was pretty big into mountain biking and then you had like well, so there was trails really close to the actual vineyard behind you as well yeah exactly yeah. yeah which is also kind of a crazy coincidence um yeah the the vineyard where i was living at the time was you know the probably the closest property to our main mountain biking trail system so it was also just, just kind of coincidence out. yeah totally <laughs> yeah that's that's yeah, pretty awesome. I didn't have a car that summer, so it made it it made it really easy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, and were you far from home to get to work? Were you using your bike to commute every day to work, and then just hit the trails after work, and then cycle home again? Did you just live on your bike. Uh, kind of in college, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I didn't really have a car in college. Towards the end of college, I did, but. For most of college, I didn't. So in Arizona, I basically was using, yeah, my hardtail to commute to um, school and that kind of thing. And then during that summer internship period in the, um, the Hood River area, I didn't have a car. So, but I was living on the vineyard. So, okay. I, yeah. I would use like the company's truck sometimes to get, you know, go places. But for the most part, I was kind of living where I worked. So I didn't actually have to commute um, all too much, which was nice because biking around Hood River is actually quite difficult. Everything's kind of spread out. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a rural community. So getting anywhere, if you don't live in town, is quite difficult um, mm-hmm. without a car. So. Yeah, I kind of lived where I worked, which worked out at the time. But now I definitely have 
uh, car to get around. <laughs> That's always a, a plus. Uh, what what got you or got your attention with wine? What was it that brought you towards like working in that industry? Yeah, that was also kind of random. Because um, like, like I said before, I was uh, studying engineering and I'm still working um, in engineering now. Okay. But I think I was really close to burning out on the whole engineering thing. I was kind of at the end of my degree or close to the end of my degree. And I was really mm -hmm. looking forward to just doing something totally different uh, before I finished school. So that, and I, I had an interest in wine and the winemaking process and um, kind of just wanted to learn about it um, and get my feet wet before I totally transitioned into, you know, the engineering field. Um, so I kind of felt like that summer was my, my time to go, you know, learn about it, live on a vineyard if I could, which yeah. I did. And that worked out um, really well for me. But yeah, the wine thing was, it was kind of random at the time, <laughs> just kind of wanting to do something new um, at the time. And did you ever organize like awesome wine, cheese and biking nights from the vineyard? Uh, yeah. Oh, yes and no. Um, not at the time. Um, maybe personally, not formally. Okay. Um, and after that summer, I did kind of work a side job um, where I did wine and bike tours, which was pretty fun. It was um, the summer after that summer internship. So we would basically bike people between three different wineries in the area. And there was, yeah, wine, cheese, food, all involved in kind of a bike tour type setting. So yeah, uh, not at that time, but yeah, later on I did um, kind of more formal um, thing like that. Cool. Um, and so what kind of style of cycling mainly that you do? Is it purely mountain biking or do you ever dabble in like off-road or road or anything else like that? Yeah, I would say primarily mountain biking. Um, yeah, I have not done a ton of road cycling here and there because there is a lot of good um, road cycling around us. Um, but not yeah i would say mountain biking is primarily my um i guess niche or what I, where i spend my time so the area that i live in has a lot of jumps and so i've always been kind of a believer that you're kind of a product of your environment and yeah. so i got in kind of this jumping realm of mountain biking mainly just through living here and that's the type of trails we have in post canyon there's not uh -huh. a ton of technical features like rocks or roots it's very manicured pretty jump lines yeah. everywhere um and so yeah i was just kind of a product in my environment and got into i would say a more jumping type specific riding through just where i lived um and then, yeah, that's kind of translated over to places that I travel um, mountain biking wise. I like to 
ride jump line oriented trails. Um, and then same with trail building. I do quite a bit of trail building and that kind of translates over to the style of trail building I'm involved with too. Um, so yeah, I would say that's kind of the, the style of riding I am into. And are, are you working with kind of a local organization when you go out trail building or, or how does it work in your area? Cause, um, here in Ireland, like a, the vast majority of mountain bike trails are unsanctioned, but they know they're mm-hmm. there. So they don't really do anything about it. And once you don't go build anything crazy with somebody's going to kill themselves on, um, they're kind of ignored right. as long as you behave yourself, but there are proper trail centers as well. So, but they're usually built by, you know, the crew that are hired in by the local government purely and specifically to do that. Mm-hmm. So like you wouldn't just have anybody come in and help build the trails. But like, what kind of trail building mm-hmm. do you do? Yeah, I would say both. Um, we have really, really good infrastructure where we live when it comes to getting involved in like the local trail system. So if, and that is in a sanctioned sense. So we have a whole trail association locally that, you know, sets trail building days and, you know, anyone from the community can come get involved in those days awesome. and help out with very various different trails different people are trail adopters so they kind of own the trails um sometimes if you go to other places you see a company own a trail or a road or whatever so it's kind of like that but an individual normally is the trail adopter um and and then kind of runs the crew um when it comes to the trail building days so yeah there's good local infrastructure for getting involved trail building wise and then I do do my own unsanctioned stuff, um, but I probably won't dive into that too deeply <laughs> nope. over the podcast. No, no. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. No, of course. No, there's no unsanctioned yeah, right. trails. <laughs> right. <No worries. laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's that's great that they kind of have that, that ethos behind it where anybody can kind of come out and help. And at least then, you know, they're contributing towards the trails that they then get to ride. Um, but can you explain a little bit more about the trail adopter? So does that, is that like somebody just decides, right, this is my section of trail, I'm going to put in loads of effort, I'm going to organize everything, and this will be my baby? Or do they actually own the land that the trail is on? Or, or what way does that work? Yeah, they don't own the land. Um, in our local trail system, the county owns the land. And I'm not actually entirely sure how they figured out who is going to be the adopter. I think a lot of times it's the person that has had experience building in that local trail system and is passionate about adopting that particular trail. So I think if Mm -hmm. you wanted to kind of be the trail adopter and make that particular trail your baby, you could. Um, And then, yeah, you would basically be like oh my trail is needing a ton of work this fall you know there's tons of new down trees this that i'm gonna plan a you know trail building day and um you know post it to the public and then um a lot of times there'll be like food or beer provided and yeah people and then tools are a lot of times provided too and yeah anyone can come out and help out on that during that trail building party or day so yeah I feel like a lot of that goes on last spring I actually did an all women's trail building party on um, one of our trails which was 
awesome because I kind of incorporated education as an aspect to it as well because a lot of ladies had come out that had never actually done any trail building before and um we were working on a trail that is already existing and kind of needed some prior background knowledge on how to work on it well and you know keep it more or less in its same form but make it better so Uh yeah education kind of an aspect of the trail building party which i think was super valuable for some people that you know never ever trail built before um and if there had been ladies that have trail built before then um like kind of put them in charge of their own group and kind of break out into smaller groups and um everyone kind of had a different feature that they were working on or cleaning up and that kind of thing so yeah um yeah, there's good infrastructure, and if you wanted to do a trail build party or be an adopter of a trail, there's kind of the a place for that, which is nice. That that sounds pretty cool. That's a great way to run it, I think, um, because any of the 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 real trail centers here, like it, probably for liability issues and things like that, they they wouldn't let anybody go in and actually work on the trails. But um, a lot of the woods that would have unsanctioned trails would still be kind of government land, um, usually forest plantations mm-hmm. or just an old, old forest that they, they can't cut down because they're not allowed to for environmental reasons because the trees there are too old or there's wildlife in there, you know, it might be a protected area. Um, so, you know, if people kind of go in and build trails, but a lot of the stuff here would be more like cross country and natural trails and it's just all rocks and roots and you pretty much use what you have um rather mm-hmm. than building big dirt jumps or building anything anything crazy because we just like w- i suppose you, there are some spots like that but not a, they'd be very few and far between i know one or two where they do have some pretty pretty big jumps and gaps and stuff but like that would literally be one person just taking it upon themselves but you know it'd be nobody knows who it is but like everybody knows where the trail is kind of thing and every now and again you might show up there and there'd be another little jump or another bit of feature added on and um but in the kind of cross-country trails there's a few times where you'd you'd wrangle up a few friends and just come in and clear a section of the trail or just cut back some of the bushes and the thorns and cut back some of the fallen trees and things like that or dig a, a drain hole to let the rainwater get out and stuff but the i think the the way it's done there seems like pretty sustainable like you know as long as the mm-hmm. stuff is going and there's people there willing to put in the time and at least then they go oh yeah no i help build this trail i love riding this trail rather than just you know as long as you can get the attitude to what what do they call them like no dig no ride days kind of thing yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. yep so yeah it is interesting looking at you know how sometimes unsanctioned trails will become sanctioned trails in that process sometimes they keep their same form and things aren't, you know, modified too drastically, or sometimes they're modified pretty drastically. Um, A lot of times, depending on who the landowner is and what flies and what, what doesn't fly. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it is interesting to see that process of things going from, sometimes an unsanctioned realm to then becoming sanctioned one day. And I feel like most sanctioned trails were unsanctioned at one point lo- a long yeah. time ago. Um, so, 
yeah, it's interesting. And I, I've seen some of your Instagram posts as well of, of you riding and like you seem like you're you're pretty able to send it on some of the big jumps. Um, and like you said, you're like a product of, of your environment. And I I used to ride a little bit of downhill, but even that would just be super rough, technical and steep. There wouldn't be any massive jumps or gaps. Um, and that's one thing I never mm-hmm. really did a lot of. Um, so like, do your local trails have kind of like beginner trails where there's small jumps that are all tabletops. So you're not going to smack it into the back of a landing and how, like, do you, do you work your way up? Is, is, is it a bit kind of inclusive for everybody to learn or do you kind of have to get thrown in the deep end and just go for it? Uh, yeah, yes and no, actually, I would say where we live is pretty good progression. There are, um, some smaller jumps that you can, you know, do as many times as you want. You can even drive to them, which is really nice. Um, mm-hmm. And so you kind of save your energy for the the particular session if you're if that's what you're working on. You know, during that day. Yeah. Um, and we do have you know larger or middle you know middle size jumps and larger jumps. Um, so I do think that there is kind of a step. Um, along the whole way, which is great for progression. Um, I do think that there could probably be more of a middle ground because I have heard from various local people that they feel a little bit stuck where they're, you know, working on this or they feel dialed on these smaller jumps and how the heck do they get to these larger jumps? They don't really feel like they have Uh quite that middle ground. So I think we could probably work on having a better middle ground for people to kind of bridge the gap between um, some smaller features and the larger features we have locally. Um, But there are some, you know, there is a little bit of a middle ground, but I think it could definitely improve. But as for access, I think we're really lucky in a sense of, like I said, you can drive to all of these different jump lines, whether they're small or big. So if you're really, really trying to dial it in, you can, the access to them is really, really um, easy and okay. um, kind of conserve your energy and, you know, work on whatever you're trying to work on or that kind of thing. So um, you don't have to spend two or three hours climbing through the woods to then get to the jump line to then yeah. practice something new and hard. You can kind of um, make your your time pretty focused. So yes and no. I think we have we have a good thing for everyone, but it can always improve. No, that's that's pretty cool. I, I can imagine though that when you're you're used to the small jumps, the next thing you know, you're going from like easy to extra hard, and you're looking at this massive thing that you know you don't want to come up short you don't want to overshoot it it can be a bit intimidating um i know like there's one or two um private bike parks here in the country um none on my side of the country but like when i say my side of the country ireland is so small you can drive across it in three hours um so it's not really it's, it's not really a big trek but like you see that the local kids near that kind of private bike park where they, and it's not a huge hill, but they, you know, you have, a, they have vans and trailers and you stick your bike up on the trailer and they uplift you to the top and then you race down. And by the time you get down to the bottom, the van is there ready to bring you back up again. So you get loads of runs in and these little kids and like, you know, they're 12 and 14 early teens and they're just 
shredding down these hills. It's it's crazy what they can do um, at such yeah. a young age and even younger. Like, is is there a lot of kids in your area? Like, is a do you see a lot of younger people cycling, or is it mainly kind of older teens or adults? Yeah, we have a really really great variety of age groups. We have a couple really great mountain bike schools in town that are kind of just building up an army of shredder kids. It's really cool. <laughs> um, I look or recently I hosted a jump jam um, at our, at one of our local um, jump lines. And I would say 90% of the people that showed up were kids under 15, which is wow. crazy, but there was so many of them and they were all, so competent and so talented and it was really cool to see so i think we have a huge demographic of kids um yeah getting all that repetition in and having really great you know schools mountain biking schools and programs Mm -hmm. to go to after um school or whatever to um ride and then yeah i would say we have a lot of I don't want to call them older, but yeah, older, (laughs) older people that are riding here too. Um, So I don't think that it's necessarily specific to one age group here. I think we have a whole variety of age groups riding um, the same trail, which is, I think, pretty special. And and do the local schools, do they have their own cycling clubs? I know, well, like when you say that there's cycling schools, is that just the local group and a professional coach that get together to get kids into cycling or get adults into cycling and help them along? Or do the actual schools themselves have any involvement in it? Yeah, the schools might. The, the mountain biking programs I see and know about are like private so they're you know extra almost like extra curricular type things where parents have signed their kids up for a separate you know mountain biking um school that's not necessarily associated with their elementary or middle school or anything so it's i see it separate but i bet that the school's um, probably have something like that intertwined, but I see them as separate oh, okay. entities. Yeah. Yep. And you said um, that you organize sometimes the kind of ladies dig days so that they can learn how to, to build the trails, but is, is there, is there a good kind of female um, representation of the mountain biking there? Because I know it's, you know, the, the percentage of, of uh, women and girls cycling is, is quite small compared to the male side. But do you guys have good representation there or can you see it growing? Yeah, I think we have really great representation from my perception. I honestly see more women on the trails sometimes than yeah. men, which is really sweet. And there's so many um, lady group rides through all the shops, which is also really amazing so if you wanted to you know do a female only ride um there's plenty of shops and um different organizations that um have women's group rides and that type of thing so yeah i think we have a really great female representation which is also 
really special. Man, I'm really talking up. <laughs> I'm really talking up. <laughs> no, it's good to hear. Like I know just from what I've seen, like I wouldn't know about the numbers, but just what I've seen really that the mountain biking scene here doesn't have a lot of women or girls taking it up. But over the last while, I definitely have seen an awful lot more, um, especially even mm-hmm. like in the enduro races. And, the, and there was always a, a few people that you'd always see at all the mountain bike races, but it's definitely growing. But what I'm really seeing is a lot of like a, a pickup in gravel cycling um, because Ooh. it it's a good balance between, you know, the not as extreme as mountain biking. Um, but you, you, you have that extra bit of safety because you're away from the, the traffic and the busy roads. Um, so it's great that there's like when I was working at a bike shop there, you know, the, the vast majority of people would be customers would be male but like I could see over the years that it was growing and growing and growing that there was a lot more women coming in and getting the bikes and then you know they'd get into it through maybe their partner or a friend or they just wanted to try it out themselves and the next thing you know they get another friend into it and then that person knows it and they get another friend into it and it, it is great to see it kind of growing and like I, I suppose I don't really care if you're a man or a woman or anything in between as long as you just enjoy cycling and you know get out and have a good time yeah definitely yeah and i think that there's always room for growth in you know all categories so i would like to see more female representation in like the the jumping i think side of at least what i do um because i don't necessarily always have like a strong female present in doing larger jumps locally um and i think there can always obviously be more women and men trail building so i don't know yeah. there's always growth stuff like this too but i think we we get good representation that's good it's good to hear and like like just once people cycle <laughs> you know i'm happy out just share mm-hmm. the love of cycling um so mm-hmm. being part of the the kona ambassador uh, program kind of get me a, a really big pool of people to to pester and get to sign up for this podcast so um how was it that you got involved uh with Kona in your cycling yeah um mainly through other people which is kind of cool I yeah just riding locally I had a few people approach me being like hey you should maybe find a shop or a company to support you and your writing. And I didn't really put too much thought into it at the time, but I was like, you know what? You're right. Like it'd be sweet to um, look into that. And at the time I was writing a Kona process 153. So I was like, um, I was like, I'll look on Kona's website. So I got on Kona's website and they actually had an ambassadorship program which is perfect and then when I looked into it it seemed like it was really based in storytelling and um different type of projects like that which intrigued me so um I was kind of attracted to the ambassador program through kind of yeah just that storytelling aspect of it which I thought was pretty special I didn't necessarily you know say like you needed to be first place in all these, you know, yeah. rides or that. It was like, 
can you tell a good story? So uh, that's what initially attracted me to the program. And yeah, I applied a couple years ago. Um, I guess it's my second year doing it. Um, and yeah, it's been cool to really have kind of some framework to make media and create yeah. projects. Um, yeah, it gives me like good good initial framework um, to kind of create stuff and to tell stories and do different things. And Kona has also been really mm -hmm. supportive of kind of the events that I've done this last year with the female trail building party and the jump jam and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, other people initially kind of pushed me to look into writing support and then the Kona ambassadorship thing kind of came up through me searching for that cool and uh, mm -hmm. when you're out trail building does the uh, the engineering side of your brain ever kick in when it comes to building lines and building jumps and stuff like does, does it help you when it comes to building there's a there's a little bit of crossover yeah it's funny when when we first started trail building um I, myself my partner and a few other people we were like digging these these like hot tub size holes on the side of the river to move dirt. And like a part of me was just like, this is so much work and so wrong. Like, and then the <laughs> light bulb kind of went off from an engineering aspect I had learned in school called cut fill, where it's really, you're not moving any new material into the site or taking material out of the site. Cause that costs money. Mm -hmm. So you really got to be good and efficient and moving the dirt that already exists. And now yeah. I, I brought that up um, shortly into us, you know, figuring out the trail building thing. And then the light bulb went off for everybody else. And they're like, yeah, that makes, makes more, way more sense. So, and that's how, you know, we've continued to do it. So there's a few concepts that have had some, some bleed over, um, but more or less the trail building thing has actually allowed me to tap into more of a creative side than a super analytical side. So um, it's been good for, yeah, tapping into a creative side of my brain that I don't always tap into. And what kind of terrain have you got there to work with? Um, like, are, are you mainly kind of dry, dusty, or do you have proper forest land where kind of more clay and loamy stuff with rocks and roots for you to kind of build features around? What what have you got to work with? Yeah, we have a lot of good loam, I would say. So we have a lot of good dirt in that sense. Um, we don't, where I typically build, there's not a lot of um, rocks, which is kind of nice because I'm doing everything by hand and yeah. rocks are um, take a lot of time to get out if that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you want them there. But yeah. If you're trying to move rocks, it, it's a lot. It takes 10 times longer. So for the most part, I would say loamy type dirt is what we're working in. Um, and we'll try to uh, kind of av avoid some root big root systems if we can um mm -hmm. or incorporate them in the trail if we need to but for the most part just um yeah loam and does everything have to shut down when it rains there 
because I know in some places where as soon as you get any kind of bit of rain that the trails get washed out if you keep riding. But over here, whatever kind of way, because we get so much rain here in Ireland, the, like the, the composition of the soil stays fairly consistent. You know, it'd be a bit muddy in winter and it dries out in the summer. But like if, it, if you cycle in the rain, you're not going to rip the place to pieces. Right. Yeah, we have kind of both. We because our local trail system that I was talking about that had a lot that has a lot of jumps, it's such a manicured system that when it rains hard, tire tracks are not great for the trails. So mm -hmm. there does become a point when it's too wet and you're actually just damaging you know, trails that people have put a lot of work into. Yeah. Um, but for more than natural stuff around, um, which is typically outside of that local trail system, some of the more like unsanctioned stuff or some of the drier stuff out east, because we turn into kind of a desert the further east you move okay. from here. Um, all of that stuff is pretty good to go when it gets wet. And even when it snows, if you really want to ride in the snow you can um okay. so yeah i would say all the natural stuff holds up pretty well but it just is it doesn't see as much traffic and like i said it is a lot more natural and um doesn't get impacted as harshly by the rain that the local trail system does oh that's good yeah okay um I suppose we can call it there. I learned some pretty cool stuff about your, your local area and trail building. And, and I just want to say thanks for giving me some of your time today to come on and have a chat. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was fun learning about you as well. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.